Anything at all. Ask anything you want. Okay. I mean, I have crazy things I can tell you about. All right, this is uh, Pals with Bill Wadbit. I'm Mark Hamilton here, uh, finally, after, you know, many... I'm your pal. Are- you are yes, you are a pal, pal of Bill Wadman. As I walked over here to <laughs> Studio Wadman, I noticed it occurred to me. I didn't notice because I didn't see it. Although I did see it in my mind. Pal backwards is lap. I I don't think I ever thought about that. And also, I new teeth. So let me see if I can whistle this out. But <laughs> backwards? Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. That's interesting. I spent so many nights between the ages of eight and 11 laying awake in bed with insomnia, trying to make sure that was right. You wait, you have insomnia? I, I think so. I when like you being kid, awake. You have a hard time sleeping? Yeah, I think I like being awake. Do you need a lot of sleep to, to, to function? Not at all. Last night, I slept. Funny you should ask, Bill. Um, last night, I went to bed at 3 a.m. after driving to Brooklyn from Knoxville, Tennessee. On three hours sleep. You were driving? Most of it, yes. And when you got there, did you crash hard at 3 a.m.? Or were you I just couldn't sleep. There? Okay, so then, yeah, you. I would definitely... I think I fell asleep about quarter of four, and then I woke up at eight. Yeah, I need eight hours of sleep for me to, like, function at high, high functioning. I probably do, too. That's why I don't, don't live up function. to my capacity. <laughs> Ever since early report cards, Mark doesn't live up to his capacity. It, it is... Uh, uh, it's funny. The day I met you is the day that I met my now wife, who you used to date. But like, I met her for ten minutes that day. And didn't wedding. talk to her for two years later at Janet's wedding in Rhode Island. Yeah, in fact, I have pictures of you and her and all the BCN people lined up that I took when you guys were all lined up for some other picture or lined up for me or whatever it is. I have a picture of you on that day. I was super doughy then. <laughs> really? Is that how you would put it? I mean, not that I'm ripped now. <laughs> But uh, yeah, I think I think that was a physically awkward phase. Like my cheeks were, I don't know if I was drinking heavily or what. But I, I feel, in hindsight, I see those early aught photos of me at BCN, yeah. and I think, wow, they didn't hire me for looks. Radio is real. Yeah. Well, okay. So the radio thing is a fascinating part of this. So you are still on the radio out there in LA, aren't you? That's a negative. Negative. Okay. But you were when you first got out to LA. That's a negative. <clears throat> okay. So, okay, but you were in Boston for many, many years. I was born and raised just outside of Boston. I was born in Boston, and then I grew up outside of Boston. Right. My high school had a radio station. Okay. And in eighth grade, the final year of middle school, they wanted me to go to the high school for advanced math classes. Okay. So there was a bus that the athletes would take at the end of the day. Instead of last period, you'd go to the high school early and do your sports, but they'd send me up to do an advanced math class. Okay. That lasted about a week and a half or two weeks. I saw a girl with a really cool haircut, like shaved up one side with bangs that crossed over her eyes and like, like, down to she? her chin. And she had a bag of records. And I was like, what's that all about? Yeah. Yeah. Both her and the records. Pretty much. Yeah. 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 And because I, Previously, you know, I had one of those component stereos that had a cassette and a record player and sure. the radio. And I put a cassette deck in and I'd put a microphone in front of the television and I would DJ in between something on TV and the record and the oh, radio. Oh, so you always had a thing for it. Yeah, when I was a little kid. Did you listen to the radio a lot when you were a kid? 
Uh, it no. I remember hearing it in the car when we would go places. Yeah. And I thought, cool. There's someone in there. What yeah. is that? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And then, uh, my grandfather gave me a stereo for my bedroom, and I heard "Rebel Rebel" by David Bowie. Sure. And I was like, this is fantastic. So I would listen until they would play that song again, hoping they'd say who it was. They never did. And it took probably two years before I figured out who and what it was. There are some DJs who are very diligent about top and tail with whatever it is you just heard for the people who are anal about it like you were as a kid. But I think at the time, you know, everybody other than me knew. That it was David Bowie. Right. Especially, yeah, because you were was a baby maybe, and this was a 15-year-old record at the time. No, no, not at all. Well, maybe. Yeah. No, probably a six or seven-year-old record. Okay, okay, okay. Fair enough. I was only 10 or, or 12 years old. I forget you're a little bit older than me. Okay, so yeah. Okay, got it. So anyway, so I followed this woman, not in a Me Too sense, but I, I uh, paid attention to where she went on campus. And there was a trailer, like a construction trailer that had a radio station in it. And I was like, this is much better than math class. Yeah. And so I got into that. That was crazy. Yeah. Wait, did they let you get out of the math class and start hanging out with her? Did you just no, sort of no, like illegally no. start hanging out with her? I never hung out with her. In fact, she accused me of stealing her records, which I hadn't done. Right. Yeah. 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 So, Who do you think uh, stole them? Do you, do you know, you, you think back now and go, Oh, it was that guy, Tommy who stole her records. And no, she, had, me. she loaned me a copy of, uh, Mission of Burma, Signals, Calls, and Marches. Okay, yeah. And uh, I don't know what happened to it, but yeah. but I I didn't steal it. Yeah. And I have the receipt for my own copy from Newbury Comics to prove it. <laughs> Do you keep your receipts for records? No. Do you, uh, How big is your record collection now? Honestly, if... Uh, He's holding his hands apart by 10, like, 12 like inches. Like 10 inches is how many records, do you think? Okay, yeah, yeah. So we're, we're talking vinyl LPs. Let's say a foot of records is a hundred. Does that make sense? No, a yeah, foot's probably seventy-five. Yeah, something like that. So, thousand, eleven hundred. Okay, all right, yeah, something See, like that. It's interesting because you and I come out. I don't know how much you know about like my childhood and past. Um, I assume you have one. <clears throat> I do have a childhood and a past. Okay, uh, but what you may not know is that my father owned record stores when I was growing up. That's that's oh, what he did for a living. I didn't know that. Yeah. So, like, I grew up. In record stores. Good thing you didn't go into that business. Yeah, well, my father got out at just the right time. I took over my dad's business. Yeah, and then it drove it into the ground because the business changed. He was a quill guy. But but what what was interesting about it, and I think I think your taste in music and my taste in music, like certainly have overlaps. But I'm much. I will admit to being much cheesier than you. There's there's. Oh, I like some terribly cheesy stuff. Okay, like like I'm a big. Billy Joel fan, and I'm a gross. Big, right, exactly. Right. See, you're you're going to say that now. But I am a Katy Perry fan. Are you really? Oh, and Taylor Swift. Okay. Because of the songwriters or because of the artists themselves and the records? I don't know what it is about those two artists. I like, I should say, I'm, I like what Katy Perry does. I like what they do as an artistic performance thing, cheesy as it may be. Yeah. And, and certain songs. I love hooks. Okay. Yeah. Fair enough. Yeah. Um, and so when I was growing up, I almost never listened to the radio because my father at record store. So like, if I wanted to hear something, I'd say, Hey, can you bring home a copy of whatever, you know, when I started getting into music, the new, whatever came out, can you bring that record home? And I would have records, well, more CDs and cassettes 
by the time I started getting interested in music. Wow, you're way younger than I am. 44. So is there a six year difference between us just for CDs? Well, you also got to remember that like, uh, we had a CD player in 1982. Oh, right. Sony gave my father a the first one ever a CDP one Oh two. Do you like, have it still? My sister has it down in DC actually. Way to go. And you know what the funny thing about it? Like I'm kind of an audio nerd. Um, I see. Yeah. The funny thing about it is that her, um, uh, that CD player, even though it has shitty early converters and, and the whole thing, like, you know, sounds really good because Sony was really, really touchy about the analog section of it. Like, the equipment had to like, it had to sound good because they were trying to sell the format. So they put more into it than they would in like later boxes. You know what I mean? So like it actually sounded pretty good for a first gen product, even like years later it did. But anyway, the reason I bring this up is just to say, it's interesting. Like if you're listening to the radio and and learning about stuff that way, mine was very much like I'd go to the record store. I'd work in the record store in high school, but it was never, my thing was always like, oh, I want to listen to that, and I'll take the record. It wasn't like I'm learning from outside some different music. Does right. I was going to say your context of, of learning and, and consuming new music was totally different. Yes, exactly. That's what I find fascinating. Were about. you driven by the artwork? Uh, no. It was always about melody for me. In fact, but how did you know my... if you hadn't heard it before? Oh, I see. Um, so like if a stack of new records, you know, let's that's say it's true. Tuesday I guess, and new yeah, music no, no, comes true, into the store. Yeah, artwork would, I guess artwork would be, would be a thing. Cause I bought U2's war album yeah. based solely on the artwork. Did you really? Okay. Yeah. I thought, well, there's a striking picture of a child in black and white. Yeah. And then uh, he says to the photographer yeah. and then the red text. Uh, no, I totally get that. But it's funny because at the time I was not a particularly visual person and I was, I was never a. I was never like, for example, I, I mean, I've listened to a lot of U2, but I was never a big U2 fan. I was never the kid who was the rebel. Does that make sense? Okay. And I don't think a, I was ever really the rebel well, either. My, it's funny because Heather s- says to me, we were trying to do music like for like a wedding or something like that. You know, we were like listening to music and we were going back for, you like this song? You like this song? Whatever it is. And she goes, Jesus, were you raising a fucking elevator? <laughs> <laughs> so like... <laughs> <laughs> like, cause that's like, uh, I like, you know, I like 70s singer songwriters and Heather's into the clash as she should be as right, any exactly. decent human being would right. be. So we're going to get into this, but okay. So, so, so you see that she, you see her walking in, she says you stole her records when you got to high school. Did you then go into that thing and actually start trying to do DJing there? Yeah, I did my first radio show on September 11th, 1983. You remember? Of course. I was terrified. I was sweating bullets. I had to write down everything that I was going to say into the microphone. How how long of a shift was it? Uh, Two hours. And did you get to program your own stuff? Yeah, it's 1983 on a high school station. WIQH, 88.3 FM, 10 watts. Do you still feel like you had, uh, did you have your radio voice even then? I don't have a radio voice. You don't think you 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 sound like a DJ? I don't do. Do people say that to you sometimes? People do say that. And just this past week on tour with a, with the, on the tour I was on, somebody said, Oh, you know, you have a great radio voice. I don't know. I don't know what that means because to me, a great radio voices are, were they aware of your past at that point? Nope. No idea whatsoever. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. But I don't, to me, your great radio voices are those men with massive pipes. 
Yeah. You know, that just sounds baritone. Oh, yeah. But that's But they're really, real close up on an RE twenty and they're getting like all that big and giant sound. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. That that thing, right? Yeah. You can I mean there there are things that fix that, you know. Right. And then there are women that have I feel like the the best of the female jocks and don't start quizzing me on who they are, but they always sound the most natural on the microphone. For some reason women always sound more natural and then guys have this when they have that big baritone and those raspy, yeah, I don't know what you call it, but they feels artificial, like 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 they're like it they're sounds artificial, but it sounds you know it's intense, like you feel it sure. the way yeah. you do the bass drum at a yeah. live show, and, and and in a lot of cars, the like the low ends pumped up, so you're getting double that if you're listening to a car, and exactly, kind of too, right? Yeah, yeah. So did so back then? Did you see it as like I don't know? I've always wanted to ask this about from you is. Did you see being a DJ as like a, a, a power position and even in, in, in like, even in a, uh, almost like, I feel like there's almost a godlike element to it, right? Oh, no, no. Okay. Well, perhaps I saw certain DJs in that light, uh, unconsciously, but I'd never saw myself, even if I were to be a DJ in that light. Right. Godlike is not. I would, I would never sign that to myself. Okay. And, and on I sep- never have assigned that to myself. <laughs> yeah. Fair enough. September 11th, 83. Was it? Did you say? Yep. Did you know, did it go well the first, the first time out? I mean, it, how, how, no, I mean, all of my segues like of were that cool. Anywhere? Is there- I've stuttered more in this particular podcast, uh, than I did then. Maybe I don't, I yeah. think it was fine. I have a cassette somewhere of an early radio show from 84, perhaps I can't find, yeah. I'm looking of thousands of cassettes of my radio shows. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So there's the godlike thing. I taped you, almost all of my radio shows. Oh, you have like a nice little collection of them. I would say nice is an odd word, but yes, it's significant. You that and just save it down to like a single folder on a computer. <laughs> <laughs> I have a bunch yeah. are on SoundCloud. I've started. Oh, interesting. I, gotta, I haven't listened to those. Yeah. See, that's kind of interesting. Okay, so you're doing that in high school. And then school. the ones that are just me talking, I made... Spotify playlists of the music. So some oh, of them are just scoped recordings of yeah. only my, my blabbering in between yeah, yeah. songs, which are cool because there'll be a concert report and stuff like that. Yep. Or an interview with bands, but, or I'll say something really dumb. Yep. Uh, so I made a Spotify playlist to coincide with those. And then some of them have all of the music on them. Now, can you, at the time when you were doing that, when you first got started, did it feel like, oh, yeah, this is what I'm supposed to be doing? Or was this just one of the things that you just did? It was perfect. It was the only thing that I could ever. It made all of those weird. You know, when you're alone and you're you're taping off the television and a record player and the last half of a song on the radio and you're making up your fake radio thing. Yeah. Uh, it made all of that make sense. Yeah. I was like, this is the only thing to do is talk about music. That, that I so like. Cool. That, I mean, because you, I mean, you have like an almost, you have a very encyclopedic knowledge of a lot of different music. He's making a face. You're making a face. So I'm not trying, I'm not trying to blow smoke up your ass. I like, honestly think like you talk about this stuff in a way that is, it, it's like, I, I've, I've, I had a guy on here on this podcast, my friend Chris Malanfi was on and he does a podcast for Slate called the um, Hit Parade on Slate podcast where he, He's like a chart analyst. Like he's one of those guys who's like, 
oh, baseball and music. He's a numbers guy. Exactly. No, that's exactly it. And he's amazing, you know, like what he does. He's like, so if I said to him, what what album replaced Thriller on the charts and oh, stayed would, there for 17 weeks oh, at number would, one? He would tell you that. He would tell you that, you know, he did a whole he did a whole podcast talking about how Credence never had a number one hit because they were always like kind of blocked from number one by, you know, Simon and Garfunkel or whoever else. Right. Who was terrible, there. frankly. Yeah. But it, but it is really interesting. I mean, he but he looks at it very much at like this record and like how far it got on the charts and what charts it made it on and the difference between the UK and Britain, whatever they like, that's his sort of fetish, the way he looks at it. Like everybody's all psyched for the 40th anniversary of London calling. Yeah. Which is the best album of the seventies and the best album of the eighties. Cause it was right on the border in the UK. It came out on December 31st, 79. Yeah. And in the U S January 14th, 1980. See, this is exactly the kind of stuff I'm talking about. Even when we were standing, when you first walked in and we're chatting and you're talking about SST and you're talking about like, oh, this guy and that guy and whatever it is and these brothers and whatever. Like, I mean, I vague, I can follow what you're talking about and I know the label, but I don't know those guys individually just because that was just not my world sort of deep diving into the people behind the, the label or whatever, you know? I think more than an encyclopedic, encyclopedic knowledge, I have this, I have a capacity for minutia that yeah. is absolutely worthless. <laughs> yeah. But, but is Except it, to me. But do you find it satisfying in like a weird kind of OCD kind of way? It's satisfying until you, the moment comes up where you use it and then nobody gives a crap. <laughs> yeah, but what happens when you use it in a crowd of people who are into that kind of stuff and they're like, holy crap. So that Mark's that, got his shit together. Well, so at WBCN, big giant rock station in Boston that no longer exists, I would do. I would host a lot of events, live events in bars. You know, yeah. you go out with a sponsor, and for two hours, they want you on a microphone, pumping whatever alcoholic yeah. beverage is sponsoring the night, and you're giving away tickets to a concert or a Red Sox game or whatever yeah. you do. And in their mind, in the sponsor's mind, this would be great if the DJ does three or four little raps yeah. per yeah, hour, yeah, 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 yeah. and then they play the music. But for me. I was lucky. I got it. I love that. And I can never shut up. You're just talking the whole time. Yeah. So I would just, I had friends who were, man, you know, I made really good friends who were on the street team and they would man the board as it were with the music. And I said, just leave my microphone on. I'll control the on off switch. If I start talking, bring the music down, but don't turn it off. Yeah. yeah and yeah. I would just go around the bar and introduce myself to everybody and, one by one and try and give everybody a moment in the, in the sun, as it were, yep. engage them, try and make everybody in the room feel as though they were part of something as opposed to, Oh, this bar is terrible. That guy won't shut up. We're not yeah, part, yeah, like yeah. they're he's ruining our night. Are you, are you that way with people without a mic in front of you? Or is that sort of like a way that you are, you know, when it's for work, you know what I mean? Like you turn, like you turn it on when you need to be that role. I don't think that I ever turn it on. I just turn it up. Okay. Yeah. 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 I can be super quiet. Nobody will believe that. That's probably a lie to anyone who knows me. All right. So let, let's, uh, <laughs> so you're, you're doing this stuff in high school. You're having a good time. How does that translate into what you, you uh, what you do after high school? I went to college briefly, but I got a job at the radio station. I grew up listening to immediately. Oh, really? Yeah. And I thought, well, this is weird. Which is BCN or something else? It was WBCN. So you got a job BCN like like kind of when you were twenty years old? 
kind of when I was 17. Wow, really? Yeah, but I wasn't on the air. I was a little bit. I would do voices for commercials. Yeah. Although I was being, my job was as a production assistant in the production department. So I was still learning how to cut and splice tape with a razor blade and a grease pencil. And yeah. And And the guys that I worked with, I worked with this one guy, mainly his name is Bill Cates. And uh, he's a sound genius, and that's his handle online. Yeah. Super many, many accolades and uh, in the industry, very well known and amazingly, amazingly talented guy. Uh, he was the voice of K Rock here in New York yeah. for a long time. One of the first guys at Sirius XM doing a lot of their voiceover work. Yep. Uh, one of the other guys, Tom Sandman, who got out of radio but was a genius as well. And then the third guy was Billy West, who is yep. went on to be the voice of Ren and Stimpy and yeah, sure. every other amazing cartoon character. Yeah. So that was what I was witnessing firsthand right out of high school when I was supposed to be going to college, although I was finding my... I didn't go to the right college. I went to a... I didn't go to the right college in that my courses were not challenging me. Okay. I think I went to a... The high school that I went to, I think, was better than most high schools and and that it was a public school, but in a really good town for education. Yeah, 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 yeah. And I was bored, and I was never going to class, and I was pulling great grades. And then I thought, what's the point? Yeah. A lot of people would just say, like, I'll just keep coasting like this and get my degree doing no, this No, I was, I was bored. Yeah, no, I get that. Yeah. And I, it was a mistake. In hindsight, you know, because I never did graduate, I yeah. definitely should have done that. You think it would have made a difference? I would like to have graduated from college. Okay, fair enough. I don't know why, but... You ever think about, like, going back? Yep. Okay, all right, fair enough. I, it's interesting, because I, I went to UConn for two years as an engineering major. I've been to UConn. I've been to all the best schools, man. Yeah. <laughs> if there's a party, I've been to that school. Yeah, I, I, <laughs> I went to UConn for two years, and then realized that I didn't want to be an engineer, and then transferred to Berkeley in Boston, right? So that's where I ended up going to school. But that's, it, it's just, it's such an interesting thing of like, sometimes you're like, yeah, what am I doing here exactly? It's not like, this isn't what I want to do. Yeah. I didn't feel part of it. I didn't feel connected to anybody there. I got a very small scholarship to play baseball, which was weird because I only played baseball freshman year of high school. You're a really good baseball player? No, no. I can hit the hell out of a foul ball down the third base line. And for a brief period of time, I could throw a ball, you know, in the mid eighties. Yeah. 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 But you know, a, a, Division three school that's yeah. a commuter school. They were like, Yeah, you know, we'll give you two thousand dollars to immediately I found the closed circuit radio station and yeah. was like, Yeah. I'm in there. I'm in there. So who who was running BCN when you got out there? Who was running it? Yeah. Tony Berardini was the general manager and host of Heavy Metal from Hell on Sunday nights. And Oedipus was the program director and host of Nocturnal Emissions. So Oedipus was in that role for the whole time you were there. Oh yeah. Yeah, and he was there for years before you got there. He was there. He was like an institution for 20, 30 years, right? I think he was there longer. He uh, he had a show on, well, it was WTBS at the time at MIT. And then Ted Turner b- bought those letters and it became oh, WMBR. Oh, interesting. But he had a show there called The Demi Mond. And that's where, you know, the Ramones were first played on the radio. Right. And, uh, you know, he he was the guy. He was the the groundbreaker. And then he... Started doing that show on... Because he was in the right place at the right time or because he was actually making good programming decisions? Like that he actually saw, he, he saw the light and, and aimed it in the right direction. So I wasn't there. I can't say. 
Uh, so he was like, a, back in the like late seventies, early eighties. Like that's when Boston, you know, like the seventies, you had Aerosmith and the eighties, you had yeah. the cars and all that stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But you had like, you had that, like there was that moment of Boston bands. Like it was the Seattle of the time. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. There was a thing where they were trying to get this Boston sound second wave yeah. that they had tried the first time with bands like ultimate spinach. Yeah. And, uh, Yes. So he was there when all that stuff was really happening. But I don't think that any of those bands that he was focusing on, for the most part, I think he was... Didn't go mainstream. No, I think he was... His focus... He was finding bands that were in the UK and in New York. Yeah. You know, I don't know that he was... It wasn't a local thing. No, it wasn't... I think for him, the world was the locality. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you know, at least that would be my so understanding. I feel like Boston has a, has a... Boston does have a... a, a, a there's like Boston people in Boston are proud of Boston. A lot of people, you know Fuck what I mean? Yeah, <clears throat> exactly. Right. And are, are pushing it in such a way that just like, yeah, fucking Boston, the socks, this, that, and the other thing, Not even the Boston socks. bands, like the whole, you know, it's very much a thing. I've been really lucky to travel around a lot. Boston's music scene when it was clicking and on fire. I'm not saying that it isn't now. I just haven't lived there for 10 years. Yeah. It was amazing. You know, I was a local music director at one, two, three radio stations over the course of, uh, 1990 to 2009. Okay. And what, the, just an incredible gig to have. How, how much of that do you think has to do with the fact that Boston has all the schools, all the young people? A ton. That's part of it. Yeah. Yeah. Young people go there and they're what, creative. What, what makes a hop in music scene though? Is it, is it like youth and, and vitality and sort of uh stupid energy? Like they, like they don't know it, it's, it's, it's like they don't, uh, they're not worried about where it lands. They just kind of thrown it out there. And that kind of leads to this cauldron of, of interest. Well, that's, that's a lot of it, but you need the locations to create the cauldron. Yep. As you put it, you know, you need to have a, an abundance of places for these bands to make noise and allow yep. people to come in and see the so middle East, TG, the bears, paradise, whatever, all those places, uh, two of the three, by the way, don't exist anymore, but uh, well, the Middle East is there, the but TT's not closed. as it once was, yes, and TT's yeah, yeah. is now gone. Paradise there? The Paradise is there. I'm going to go there this weekend. Yeah, it's so weird. Okay. So, so you know, a supportive so a supportive community that, that you have to have the venues. You have to have the, the people who run the venues who are into it. You have to have uh, – Boston, in many ways, is physically built for something like that. It's not too big. And you could bar hop. You could go see bands at multiple venues in one night and yep. not spend a ton of money. Yep. And at one point in time, you know, new band Monday is four dollars. Yeah. You know, now I don't think you can even get into a new band night for less than ten bucks. And you know, we just Inflation, don't. Inflation, man. Yeah. Well, it's that's one thing, but people aren't earning at the same pace, and people's listening habits are different. And yep. I don't know. I don't know what it is. That's a whole other conversation. For no, I, I want to get there. Like just like how the music industry is changing. Cause that's fascinating. I don't know, man. I'm just trying to keep my head above water. Well, so, so where, uh, so you're working at the radio station, you're doing some stuff in the back, back studios and, and working your way up. Who gives you the chance to be on mic full time? Um, Oh, this, um, full time. Okay, who, tell okay, me about so, the first time. Did so, somebody call in and you're just like, Mark, you're going on. So the first time I was ever on WBCN, I was answering the phones and picking the records off the shelf for the late night DJ. And he went 
down the street to get a falafel from the falafel cart that was across the street from Beth Israel <laughs> Hospital that yeah, was yeah, yeah. open all night long. And he didn't come back in time, and he had a live reader for, uh, you know, rocking at the ranch house on the road to Duxbury Beach. I'll never forget it. And so I was like, oh, there's a line. And he would let me press the buttons in between all the commercials from one to another. Yeah. And then I saw there's a live reader, and he wasn't back. And, you know, the most can't important thing air. on commercial radio is the commercials. You can't right, let right, that right. stuff slide. So I just turned on that microphone, and I did it. And um, somebody had told someone else at the station, it was like, wow, Peter did a great live break last night. And, uh, it was and, you. And it was me, so. So that was the first time that I got to be on. That's like in the movies, though, that like, where's the guy? Where's the guy? Shit, I we know. gotta do it. I, uh, right. uh, uh, you know, just go yeah. on. So that was the first time I was on the microphone on WBCN. But the first time I was on the air, Tammy Heidi was the DJ, and she would do three songs. You could mail in a postcard yep. and pick three songs, and then she'd call you up on the phone, and you could introduce the three songs. Yeah. And uh, I picked Satellite of Love by Lou Reed and Starman by David Bowie. Yep. And then just to see if I could get it on the radio, I picked yeah, yeah. Bobby Brown by Frank Zappa. Okay. Just like the, Did they play it? The filthiest song ever. Yeah. And she played it. it was Interesting. Amazing. Right. And then, when, and then when I wound up being there, I answered the phones for her. Uh, the first band, well, one of the first bands that I ever saw play live in the studio, Robin Hitchcock came in with Peter Buck from R.E.M. Oh, that's And they were fun. playing at the Paradise that night. And I still have the cassette of that. Then when I moved to L.A., she was at K-Rock. She had just been at K-Rock and still in the company at, an, at Jack FM. And so I got to pass that on to her. Like, hey, look what I have from 80-something or other. Oh, that's pretty cool. Yeah, it was pretty fun. You know? it's, uh, I I'm saw, a pack rat that way. You all see, yeah, that's, that gets back that's to the your other pack, thing. Rat, pack rat thing. Yeah, I, uh, Robin Hitchcock did a couple shows down here on Fifth Avenue. There was some bar. And you should go to all of them. Yeah, I mean, he, he's great. But he was like, you know, he was doing this whole thing where he was like, listen, you know, whatever you guys want to hear, just like put it on a piece of paper, send it up. I'll see if I can do it. If I can remember it, I'll do it, you know. Yep. And he uh, uh, he, he's just like, the good thing about my songs is that I only write in E and F sharp. <laughs> so he's just like, it's in one of these keys. So right. it's like, I don't have to go very far to like play this other tune. Um, he puts all his effort into the shirts. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I mean, like, you know, you go see somebody like that. I mean. The whole thing of live music, like people actually playing instruments. This is the best. It, it's something different, right? Yep. And there are certain people like, I was into going to see Jeffrey Gaines for a while. You ever listen to that guy? I know the name. You know, you know the name? If you ever get a chance to see him live, he gets up on stage, him in a 12 string, and he just like wails on the thing and sings. It's like seeing Bob Mould live where you go, oh yeah, like that guy's doing something. There's something special that's happening in the room with him just sitting there wailing away on the 12 string right you know bob's in my 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 list at the top right no i understand that's why i bring it up as a reference okay. i'm just saying this guy like it his records don't translate in the way that his live stuff does you know there's those people who are who are kind of like that uh colin hay from uh, uh oh my god incredible puts even on a to great this day, live show go see colin hay any chance you get to go see colin right hay. he's fantastic and like there's that sort of magic that happens in a live room that doesn't happen right Almost on any records, really. You know what I mean? Like, there's records that have specialness to them. Didn't happen on any Men at Work records. Right. And I played the hell out of business as usual. Right. Somewhere out there is a a, a young girl named Erin, who was my, uh, air quotes, girlfriend at the time that that record came out. Yeah. I would ride my bike 
all the way to Maynard Mass, and we'd we'd hang out on a rock and listen to that on a boombox. <laughs> That's kind of excellent. Oh my god! Um, I mean, I might have been in sixth grade. That's the yellow cover on that one. Yeah, yellow and black. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I hope yeah. she's doing all right. If you're out there, Aaron, <laughs> I never forgot. Do 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 do. She, she really liked that song, Johnny Be Good. Yeah, but like the, you know, like but he he's great, right? There's those people who just do that special thing live. Yep. And and uh, there's a lot of people who don't like seeing live music. You ever understood that? No. I mean, the annoyance of showing up and waiting around and standing around for two hours listening to maybe an opening band that you might not want to listen to, but yeah, maybe it's somebody amazing that you didn't expect to see. You know, um, I'm a Waterboys fan because they opened for you too. Right. Same with Lone Justice. Yeah, so like sometimes the opening bands do kind of make an impression. If you pay attention, they're there for a reason generally. Yeah, that that, that the real the, the the main people like really like those people or, or the record did. label. Or the record label. Somebody yeah. liked them. Yeah. You you've been on tours cuz you also tour manage some stuff. Yep. You you've been on tours opening bands, you've been on tours for headliners. I just finished a tour with an open with a band that was opening. Okay. And they were opening for a band who's infinitely better live than their recorded work, in my opinion. Yeah. Right. I mean, in a in a manner where the recorded situation, I was like, oh, good Lord. Not for me. Yeah. And then every night on the tour, I thought, I definitely don't hate being here. This is actually really enjoying. Yeah. Enjoyable. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Even though you're here in the same set. Uh, some bands play the same set every night. Some bands don't. I like the bands that don't change it up. Yeah. Throw something throw I don't know how ball. you, I don't know how you don't get bored playing the same set every night. Yeah. yeah, yeah. If you're yeah. in the band, I mean, I suppose I understand from a production element, if you're the Rolling Stones or you too, but you know, even they switch it up a little bit every night. Yep. Even if it's just, okay, here's three different songs that will rotate through slot four. Yeah, 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 and here's two songs that rotate through slot nine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, something to that effect. There's, a, there's a, a my sister, and sometimes you go see stuff. A couple, I guess it was two years ago now. I guess it was. Um, I like the Bonnie Vare, the first record, the Four Emma record, right? Like, I'm gonna come out clean and be like, I don't think I know any Bonnie Vare songs. Okay, but there's, there's, there's this one record that he wrote him like in a freaking cabin and wherever, just like basically him overdubbing himself, and it's super sad and depressing and very whatever the alone in a cabin session. Exactly. I think he broke up with the, with some woman and you know uh, what I mean? Like he was just in a bad way. Glad he's still with us. Yeah, exactly. And then my sister, I was down in DC and she said, you know, we have tickets to go see bunny Vare tonight. Uh, I, uh, you know, Kevin doesn't want her husband didn't want to go like you and I are going. Okay. So I'm like, I like that first record and I show up and the second record is like, way more uh uh like not synth but like crazy effects on his voice and stuff he's got a full sax section that's playing underneath it was just like a very completely different sounding record that i probably wouldn't have picked up the record but seeing it live i was like holy crap this is amazing right in this like really transformative way and then i became obsessed with the record after the fact you know, so like sometimes you get surprised by live music is, I guess, my point. Like, even if, if you're not if you're seeing good live music, it will surprise you. Yeah. How often do you see a show, though, where you're just like, wow, I'm wasting my time here. What is this? I try not to ever be like that. Or I should say that when I leave the room, if I leave the room while a band is playing, I try not to do it in a manner that they will notice me leaving the room. Yeah. Not that because I think it matters to them that I'm leaving, 
But I feel like if you're performing and you see someone's back and then a door closed, that's like that would make me feel terrible. Yeah, you leave between songs. I don't. Yeah, it's always if you leave. Yeah, it's always different. Yeah. All right. You know? So, but I try uh, to be I try to be respectful of it. And you know, there's only one time that I was ever that really terrible person in the audience, and that was absolutely alcohol fueled. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. Do you remember a specific time? I'm sorry, Billy Child. <laughs> That was, it was just, it was just uncalled for. <laughs> All right. So you do. And rate- Keanu Reeves once cut my boxer shorts. Oh, really? As uh, a bad dog star show. Bastard. Uh, uh, so you're at the radio station. You do your little, you do your ad. Somebody says, Hey, that ad was pretty good. Does anybody say, Oh, that was actually Mark on the, on the radio. Uh, well, I told the guy I was working with, and then he used me in a couple of things. Wait, did he come back and go, oh, sorry, man, I'm sorry that took so long. Uh, wait a minute, it's past the time when we were supposed to do the ad. No, he's pretty insane. Like, he's a crazy person. Yeah. You know, it, it wasn't. It didn't matter to him. Yeah. You know, he wasn't. But you covered dead air, which he, is an important thing. Well, it wasn't that I covered dead air. I, I, I played the, you know, the person who paid for the time got their thing. Yeah, fair enough. That was yeah. what mattered. Yeah. And then, you know, he was not one that I should have been emulating. Yeah. Yeah. Not that I didn't for a short period of time, but, you know, he wasn't somebody to emulate. All right. Uh, on a professional level. Sure. Anyway. Yeah. Yeah. I get it. And then on a personal level, as it turns out as well, that's a whole other story. <laughs> um, you know, so, just saying. So, so where does it go from there? Well, um, I wasn't going to Brandeis University, but they have a radio station and it was summertime and they were looking for somebody to fill in on shifts because there were no students and I got a shift there and I did that for about two months. And then at Boston college, they have a great radio station called WZBC and the same situation there. They were looking for some, they have a lot of non-students on the air Yeah, and they had some holes to fill. And I knew somebody who said, yeah, give this person a tape. And I got on the air and I wound up being there for 12 years. Oh, really? Yep. I was there for 12 years. Did that overlap with the BCN stuff? That overlapped with WFNX. Oh, okay. 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 Yeah. Uh, and then, okay. So then where do you go from there? Um, so at WFNX, yeah. I was exclusively the local music director for three years. And then I got hired at WBCN to be a, one of their regular, you know, one of the jocks, fill in jock. And then I wound up doing full time nights and then overnights and then nights. Then I was the, how go- long were those shifts? The night shift was seven to midnight. The overnight is midnight to six. And yeah. then I would also be the, for a while, I was the go-to fill-in for afternoons and middays. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then when Howard Stern left, they teamed me up with another guy there. And we Did filled, a morning zoo thing? Yeah, we filled the bridge between Howard Stern and David Lee Roth. Really? Yeah. And the only good thing about that, it was terrible radio. I hope that he feels the same way about it, too. Because um, if he thought it was great, that's that's a bummer. It was fun, but it was stupid, and yeah. it was really bad radio. Interesting. Yeah. And if I had any question about that, Oedipus was gone by that point in time, but I saw him at one point, and he was like, just so you know, that morning show is some of the worst radio I've ever heard in my life. You know, And here's like, the yeah. guy who hired me, who I looked yeah, up yeah. to. I was like, yeah, that dagger doesn't hurt <laughs> at all. And Wow. I was right. Yeah, exactly. You know? Yeah, you just. So, re- while you, it was not. Thank you, mentor, affirming my worst fears. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, pretty much. You know, I was, it was, that was definitely a case of, I was doing the job I was hired to do. Um, and not really, not really going with anything that, you know, it, it was a job. I was doing the job I was hired to do. Okay. Talk to me about programming radio. Well, that's different than being on the radio. I know. That's what I'm asking, but you did some of that, didn't you? Oh, in terms of the local music show, but that's yeah. a, a free form thing. And you I would just never... choose what local music you really like. Right. Well, it's not just what you really like. You know, for me, I was lucky because I never worked for people at the, at the radio stations where I was a local music director. I wasn't, I wasn't under these parameters that, that would be, Hey, look, this is what the station plays. Yeah. So on the local show, you need to play the local bands that fit the yeah. parameters of the rest of our program. If this straight ahead classic rock stuff. You need to play the bands that sound like classic rock. Yeah. So in you know, in the early two thousands, I didn't have to play local bands that sounded like Kid Rock. Right. You know, I, I could still play a guy smashing glass with a fiddle. Yeah. 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 Which, by the way, is fantastic. Um, <laughs> if recorded with the proper microphones. Right. Uh, so I didn't have I didn't have to placate the audience that was listening. It also made the show really unlistenable, I imagine, to most of the audience. But we're yeah. talking ten o'clock to midnight on a Sunday. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's garbage time for the commercial radio station, yeah. and they're they're having those programs on because they have a with their license becomes a commitment to do so much local programming. Oh, is a, it really okay in a percentage manner? Percentage of airtime. Yes. So okay. just like, you know, the, the, the community talk programming is always Sunday morning, five to seven. Right, right. right. Same thing. So this is. We have to serve the community this percentage of time. Yeah. So it would be real early on a Sunday morning. So like there is a, the, so uh, the wedding we met at Andy and Janet, uh, Andy was in this band control group. The Love that band. Control group. Yeah. On Espo Records. Yeah, they did some stuff on Espo, and then they did some stuff on their own thing. Well, I by the way, I used to master stuff for Shred back in the day too. Wow! In fact, I I have some seven inches in the closet of of like old Espo stuff. Awesome. That's a whole other conversation. Yep. But but there's like there Shred Boston skating lessons, by the way. Oh yeah, yeah. Man, it's so genius. Yeah, and he takes he's he's taking photographs of like minor league hockey teams. Oh yeah, he's real serious about the yeah, hockey. Yeah. Circling the wagons. That's his blog, his photo blog. Oh man, I gotta go. I gotta go look at that. Check it out. I I gotta go. I gotta go reconnect with him. Yep. Um, but you know, there's there's this blue record the control group did. I think it's a elaborate system of pushies, pulleys, and levers. I think it's records called. Um, you damn engineers. Yeah, I know. (laughs) Well, that that uh, I that I actually recorded and mixed for those guys, and it's funny because at one point there was like this slow part of this tune. And Andy's just like, here, put this underneath. And it was on air time. Uh, it was it was Janet talking about the control group on air. That's awesome. This was years before they met. Oh, wow. Yeah. So on that record, Juanita is actually on that record, like talking in this weird, like, be- like way, you know, deep in deep in the mix. You can hear her mumbling. And it's like Andy just gave me this thing because she was talking about them on the air, right? I gotta interject. Yep, she never mumbled. Like she, okay, she the way is, I mixed it, it was mumbling. Okay. Let me let me put that. To, she was not mumbling. It sounds like mumbles in the mix. I say this 
from the heart. She is one of the best radio DJs ever. Really? Absolutely, without question. When I talk earlier, I mentioned the female jocks who just have this natural. She's one of them. Oh, my God. Are you kidding? Yeah. Yes. I'm going to have to, we'll have to pull it up. Tammy, Heidi, Catherine, Lauren. You know, those are the those are the the Boston ones who yeah, I heard yeah, yeah, on yeah. the regular. Yeah, I mean, just unbelievable. We're gonna have to. I'm gonna have to pull it out and see if I can find it because it's like it's really funny that like years before, you know, she's on the radio. But the reason I bring it up is not just to tell the interesting story, but but to say that local bands when they do get played on the big stations in town on the local music area, that can like make their month. You know what I mean? Well, on that particular one play, station, one spin of that. People will go see your show, maybe. You know what I mean? Right. Pardon me. Well, that particular radio station in that market, WBCN in Boston, if you go back to the 80s, they played local bands all day long mixed in with all of the national bands. And at that point in time, you would have local bands that some of them didn't even have a record, but they would sell out a club like The Channel that would hold 1,500 people and they would do it every eight weeks. Bands like Treat or Right or or Face to Face. Yeah. Or uh, there's so many. The Drive. You know, I mean, it's like. Because they were getting spun on BCN during the day. Because they were being the spun day. on WBCN during the day. Because giant local radio stations were supporting local music and not treating it as an other and singling it out and saying, this is your Sunday night 10 to midnight music. Right. It was like, hey, here's a band that is. In your community, this yes. guy is probably making your coffee. When and why did that change? Money and commercials and yeah. corporate ownership. Uh, corporate ownership, right. Know, and tighter playlists. Right. And a level of beholden to record labels to get X number of spins per week for the latest thing or whatever. So that to, to the detriment of radio in general, you think, or of just local music? Oh, to the detriment of society in general and the overall ability to think for oneself of the American people. Do you think that in the time, do you think that in the time that you were a DJ, there was a, a salad days? Was there, was there a butter zone of where it was commercial enough that it gave it more a plum that it may have had when it was more ragtag, but that it was, you know, where all of that added something that was missing, but didn't take away what made it good. Does that make sense? I haven't had a lot of sleep, Bill. You just fucked with my head. <laughs> um, but I think the answer that you're that you get from me, and it's correct, is I'm a little too young to have actually been part of the full on do what you want KRP then, kind of thing, and then witnessing <laughs> and then witnessing the change. Yeah, I was an intern in the air studio, helping pick records for jocks. And I saw their ability to pick records per hour getting less and less. Okay. Like when I was 15, let's say when I was 17 and I first started, you know, jocks would pick between three and five songs an hour. Right. And then by the time I was there on my own as a jock, let's call it mm, 10 years later, uh, there's no picking any songs. And don't you dare go off of the the program. You're a very playlist. tight list, yeah, yeah. But again, and they'll give it to you. In, I sorry, these like rudimentary questions. But okay, like, they'll give you programming in order. Like here are your 
20 songs per hour or whatever it is. You're 20. Playing. That's great. That what, means whatever. Okay. coming out. 12 it, songs an hour. 12 songs an hour. In this order. Okay. You will talk in between these two songs. Okay. Okay. It was that tight. Here's where. Yeah, that's what commercial radio is. So, so, but what stops you from like just pre-recording all your spots and just cutting in instead of sitting there all night? Well, that does happen. That's called voice track. I know they certainly more so now than back yeah. in the day. What would happen if you did it then is you would lose your job. Right. Okay. 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 Yeah. No, I just wonder why also, that was a thing earlier than. So I'm old enough to have this. You know, it's I like records as opposed to digital files because there's this. There's a romanticism to the physical thing. touching sure. the thing and putting the record on or putting the CD in the machine or, you know, you're pressing the play button or the fire every time that a new yep. element goes out over the air, as opposed to a computer that has things lined up and automatically one segues into the other. And someone else whose name you never know, who never gets any attention on the air has the task probably for volunteer or minimum wage of making sure that the cue tone is properly placed yep, yep. so that just enough fading out occurs, but not too much. And then the next element starts. Yeah. yeah whether yeah. it's a, a song or a commercial or, or an ID or. A- and ba- back when you were doing a lot of that stuff until they moved to digital stuff, it was all records versus tapes were used for ads and that kind of stuff. Right. Yeah. Or like punch. They call stuff. them carts. So they looked like eight or cartridges. Tapes. Yeah. 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 You know, but they were either thir- 15 seconds. Or- but all the music was being spun on actual records. Records or, yeah. CDs at some point. Then eventually CDs came in. There was a point where cassettes were still kind of used for local bands. Oh, interesting. If somebody sent in a cassette. Yeah. You might you'd be like, look, you, yeah, send me one song on a cassette because I'm not fast forwarding. Yeah, I don't want to find eight. out where it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Can't do that. It's like, this is like a whole world. You know what it is? It's like a, it's behind- a totally different world now than it was 10 years ago, which it was a totally different world 50, uh, 20 years ago. Yeah, but your description of it, I think, is still kind of fascinating because your average person who listens to the radio doesn't know how all this works. You know, we don't think about the number of tunes that are on. And Does the average person still listen to the radio? Well, I think they do, actually. That's a sarcastic statement. I really do think that a lot more people listen to the radio than even are aware of themselves. Yeah. Because kids, let's say, like, I never listen to the radio. What's that? You're in your car. I've yep. seen you listen to the radio. Yeah, 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 yeah. You have parents. They're yeah. listening to the radio. It's yeah. on, you know. It's, it's interesting, though. Like, when, when did the homogenization happen where it's like, we in Boston are listening to the same damn records that everyone's listening to in L.A. for rock stations. And, you know, we're like, where regionalism just kind of disappeared. Was that within your purview or or, or was that before your time even? No, I, I think that I existed during that. I think the homogenization it doesn't come so much with the record with the songs as much as it comes with the voice tracking. Okay. And, and the nationalization of the hosts. Yeah. 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 DJs, if you will. Yeah. You know, uh, you know, once, once the, once small local, so let's just call it the telecommunications act under the Clinton administration. Once you could own, all the radio stations that you wanted. And Sinclair buys everybody up or whoever it is. Whoever yeah. buys whoever, you yeah. know, Megacorp hire, buys all these stations. Why have a morning DJ in 34 markets yeah. when you can have two guys in 17 markets each? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You have yeah, your yeah, East yeah. Coast and your West Coast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I mean, when Howard Stern went away, I only use him as an example because everybody knows it. When he went away, CBS Radio 
had David Lee Roth on the East Coast and Adam Carolla on the West Coast and Rover's Morning Glory in selected markets in the Midwest. Yep. You know, he was a Cleveland guy, and then they put him into some Cleveland market. So the the East Coast would never hear Adam Carolla. No, it was David Lee Roth. (laughs) Which is really interesting, though, that like how much that even segregates the culture of some kid who was in high school at the time. They all know who Adam Carolla is. Until Adam Carolla is on MTV, people on the East Coast have no idea who the hell he is, even though he was a big DJ. Right. Or a big host. I think it may have gone the other way. You get my point. But yes. Yeah. But yes, you are correct. Yeah. However, you know, if you're if you're me, you grew up in Boston and you know Charles Lockwood era in the morning mattress on WBCN. Yeah. Whereas if you grew up in Washington, DC, you know the Grease Man on DC one oh one. Or whoever the local guy was. Right. You know, like yeah. it's different. By the way, those two are not even comparable. Like Charles Lacroix is the guy; he's the morning show guy. What, why? Why? Why are so many more DJs men than women? Is that just why are like more a, of the men than they are women? Is that just like a bullshit misogyny the same thing? Bullshit reason that more everything is guys than women. Okay, yeah, yeah. Well, that's just the the that's who they hire. Yeah, it was the basic dysfunction of our society. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's so weird. Okay, so so you're at BCN. You're there for how long? Doing those shifts. Um, well, so I had this intern production department gig for a couple of years as a late teenager. And then and then I got hired there as a DJ in 1999. And I stayed there through the very end in uh, 2009. I, did the, I was the morning host for the final week of broadcasting, which was cool because it was a free-for-all play, anything you want. The only rules were every song you play has to fit into the 40-year history of the radio station, and you have to play the commercials when they're scheduled. Otherwise, do whatever you want. That must, so finally, you got to program your own stuff. Oh, my God. It was amazing. I got to play Johnny Cash into the Jim Carroll band. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. In the morning. Yeah. Yeah. And that did, was great. Did did people respond to that? In a, Absolutely. A people, I think, unanimously verbalized that if that had never gone away, that radio station would have continued to be the greatest radio station. Yeah. Why, why did, why did BCN close? Uh, because the local ownership sold to a uh, megacorp, a uh, corp. <laughs> and then they sold to a megacorp. Okay. Yeah. For so the same just... reason that Oedipus left, you know, Oedipus yeah. was uh, to go back. He had the college radio show and then got the Sunday night radio show and was, you know, forward thinking and had a bit of a business mind for that business. And he was programming the station. He was programming the radio station. Yeah. And then when corporate ownership from another city is overlording him and he has to close the middle, you know, close the door after every meeting with his middle finger, like that just, you know, it's no longer his thing. It's this. Yeah, sure. And, uh, you know, he, if he hired you to be on his air staff, you know, you were one of his kids in yeah, essence. Yeah, yeah. Like he, yeah. he had your back. Yeah. It, there was a family element there. Yeah. The, the business side of radio and the relationships with the labels and all that stuff, like in the seventies, eighties, more willy nilly than, than it was later. Who knows? Well, I imagine, you hear stories I imagine absolutely. But the seventies yeah. and eighties, I was still a kid. Yeah. You know, yeah. I, I, here's how I see it in high school. You know, the the jocks pick on the arty kids. Yep. Right? Apparently and, it used to be that way. Apparently it's not that way anymore, but that's a whole other conversation. Yeah. 
Okay. Good, for, way, good for the it's arty way more kids. flat nowadays. Anyway, go ahead. It's also probably more boring. Yeah. Because, like, getting picked on. <laughs> You're like, I want the Breakfast Club back. Well, getting picked on gives you a certain level of strength if it doesn't kill you. So uh, that's, like you said, another story. So there was a point, let's say, in my lifetime, you know, the 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 athletic kids would pick on the artsy kids. And somewhere along the line in the world of radio, which was all arty in, in my perspective, and one of the reasons that I was drawn to it, the the athletic kids didn't get jobs being athletes. So they got jobs in sales. And then the corporate structure is such that not a lot of kids with pink mohawks are going to move up the corporate ladder, but the guys in the sales department are. And so what happens is those athletic kids who are no longer athletes, which are just like elevated sales guys and girls, they're now the bosses of all the arty kids and they don't understand the art. And so they do what's good for numbers. They make money. They sell ads. It's commercial radio. It's not wild ass, incredible rock song radio. It's commercial radio. So, so that's what happens there. And so the, you call it homogenization. I just think that it's, you know, that's, that's what they understand. It's what they know. They're not, you know, they don't look at a band Profit and, and data driven stuff took over. What's that? Profit and data driven stuff took over. Absolutely. I mean, in almost every field, not yeah. just radio. It's interesting. When I was a kid living in Connecticut, the radio, the local radio station, everyone listened WHCN. to. WHCN. No. WCCC, Hartford. I was thinking uh, Westcon, Western Connecticut had a university had uh, it was like 90, 91.1 or something like you know, way down the dial, like local. All the good station. ones are way to the left. Yeah. The replacements have a song called left of the dial left to the dial sure. for a reason. Yeah. 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 And, and, and by the way, here's a little plug. Notch brewery out of Salem, mass has a great session IPA called left of the dial. Really? Yeah. We had it at the wedding. Oh man. I missed that one. Okay. Uh, yeah. So it, it's like that, 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 the non-commercial radio stations were the certainly the ones, the all you know the, the the college radio stations, the things that you worked at for a bit, seemed to be the ones that kept sort of the real deal radio alive. You know what I mean? That like that kept like the sort of the 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 thing that people were nostalgic and romantic about. Well, that's what youth does. You know, youth youth rebels. Youth does sure. what yeah, they yeah, want yeah, yeah. to sure. do. Youth has no rules, and if you're not trying to placate advertisers and sponsors, then you do whatever you want to take chances. You know, I mean, it's whether it's perceived as weird or unlistenable or disorganized, that's, you know, look, some college radio and a lot of it is really hard to listen to. Yep. It's a lot of fucking crazy. I mean, you have to have an energy to listen. Yep. So, I mean, you know, so there are positives and negatives to that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But at the end of the day, when it's tight, I mean, like with anything, you know, if you go to a play, yep. the tighter and more concise and on cue and everything is, is probably a little more, you know, we use the term professional. Sure. But what? Polished, yeah. Yeah, what makes it that way? Yeah. Money. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, yeah, somebody yeah. is backing the project. Yep. Which means that someone is looking for a return. Yep, yeah. 
let's talk. I want to talk about your musical taste. When you were younger, what, what were you listening to? When I was young, like how much younger? Talk to me about when you were a teenager, because I'm always fascinated by the idea that the music people listen to when they're a teenager and when they're in college age is the stuff they listen to the rest of their lives. Okay. Is that true of you? No. Yes and no. Um, like I said, first time I got locked on to anything from the radio, it was Rebel Rebel from David Bowie. Yep. From there, David Bowie. You're... Giant Bowie fan. Massive now, I, Bowie fan. I've seen the picture of all of You're, you meeting Bowie. Did you lose your mind that night? or How that? do you not lose your mind when you meet David Bowie? Yeah, yeah. Do you know what David Bowie said to me when I met him? What? You don't. Because how would you know that? <laughs> it would be fucked up if you knew that. Um, you know, it was. it's a meet and greet. It's very, you know, it's organized. And we were told, like, don't touch David. <laughs> you know, don't get crazy, you know, like blah, blah, all Some this artists stuff. must really hate this and some artists are probably fine with it, right? Depends yeah. where in their career they are, what kind of person they are. You've done a ton of this. It's it's all, yeah. And every, just as you would imagine, every human being is different. Right, right. So, you know, we've been led to believe that this is going to be a quick, 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 you know, he's going to come out, don't touch him, don't really talk to him one-on-one. It's going to be a big group picture. You know, there's like nine of us or something. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. yeah. And then he came out and he couldn't have been more amazing yeah. and wonderful. And it wasn't a long thing. It was maybe 10 or 15 minutes, but he took the time to go around as I remember to everyone. But yeah, Conrad's story is, hello, I'm David. You know, like, it's like, like so, that. So first of all, he has the second softest hands. That's what Heather said I have too. ever touched in my life. <laughs> and he, you know, he goes, he goes to shake your hand and you put out, and then he uses both of his hands and he grabs yours and he goes, oh, caresses your hand. Oh my God. It's like, Fucking pillows from heaven. Like, 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 like if I if I shake your hand right now, I'm getting a little David Bowie on my hand. Is what you're telling. I will me. give you my Bowie. Okay, yeah. yeah. So uh, he and then he goes. He goes. Hello, my name's David. Yeah. And so non presumptuous or whatever. At that point, you're absolutely speechless because you're already nervous. What am I going to say to David Bowie? And then he disarms you with. Hello, my name's David. Yeah. yeah and you're yeah, like, yeah. no shit. Yeah, 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 yeah. I've yeah. spent my whole life up to this point wondering, how the hell do you wake up every morning and not do this dance of celebratory madness because you are David Bowie? Right, right. Yeah. And yeah, now yeah. you're just like, this, like, oh, in case you didn't know who I was. Was he your ultimate, like, when I met him, I kind of lost my mind? I didn't lose my mind. Not, you know, I'm, I'm being. I'm know. not generally starstruck, and yeah. he's David Bowie. I mean, yeah. it's different. Yeah, 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 and yeah, he's different. And he was super kind, and but that's really all I remember of it. I, I don't remember any other. You know, it was a, it was a brief interaction. It was magic. Um, yeah, it was kind of what a meet and greet should be. Yeah, what I think it's what if you work with an artist and you're and you're putting on meet and greets every night with fans that come to shows. You know, the takeaway from that night is ideally what you want every fan to walk away with, which is I met him, he was super kind or her, you know, they were really kind yep. and it was brief. And all I remember is that it was awesome. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. You want that buzz, right? You want them to have it's, that thing. It is forever a high. Yep. Yep. Yeah. You know, They're remembering it the way you're remembering him shaking your hand. Right. Yep. So I had other encounters with him, but I did not meet him. We did not interact one-on-one. You know, I was in very small rooms that he performed in. 
you know, with like 50 people, that kind of right, a thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But there was never, you know, that's the only time I shook his hand or he spoke to me. Yeah, yeah. Whereas I have had, um, like, I am a big U2 fan and I sat in a pub and had a pint with Bono. Yep. And we had our own booth, you know, for three quarters of a pint of Guinness. And that that's a whole other different thing. Yeah, yeah. But he also has this, you know, he's one of those folks who, like, when you're speaking to them, you feel like, oh, I'm the only other person on the planet at the moment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. it's 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 a weird thing that very few people have. He's yeah. got, he's he's got that. And then uh, Joe Strummer, who is like my other Bowie in a way, yep, uh, was just a regular guy. Yes. You know. He just happened like, to like be if in it the was, clash. If, yeah, if, he, if it wasn't him, he would just be some guy. In You'd the room. be like, this guy's awesome. Yeah, 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 yeah. Instead, he was an awesome guy that was in the clash. Yeah. See, like, okay, so so you listen to Bowie. Do you then, you listen to Rubble Rubble on the radio and you go, oh, man, I need to get all these records from the last six years or whatever that, that you missed and obsess about them? Is that uh, how, is I just, that how you I roll? didn't even know what to get. And I just started getting David Bowie records. Right. And I think this was what, 81, 82, something like that. Mm, that's probably more like 78 or nine. Oh, that, okay. That early. So yeah, because you were into this stuff pretty young. You were 10 years old. Well, so that I learned that song came when I was doing the DJing between the TV and yeah. everything. And one of the, one of the songs, songs, air quotes on that DJ tape is the 1978 sugar bowl. Yeah. 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 You know? Yeah. 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 <laughs> Georgia you- and Alabama. Was there ever a moment where you were on the radio and you're DJing and you were, you have this like weird existential thing of like, Oh, I'm the person that some other kid is listening to now thinking they want to be a DJ someday. And they're on their TV DJing with the, you know what I'm saying? Like, did you ever have that weird thing of like, Oh, I'm, <laughs> I was the student. Now I am the master. Like, you know, and that sort of like, <laughs> no, um, I didn't mean that in a pretentious way. I just mean that like this, like sense of like the circle of life kind of thing going on. So every, so there's, I think if you talk to radio DJs and you should talk to as many as possible, um, I think we will all tell you that we have a nightmare. What's the nightmare? I, well, it's a different nightmare for each of us, but I think we all have our own version of the nightmare. And for me, the night before I do my first shift at a new station, yep, uh, I have this nightmare where each of the volume pots is gigantic, you know, like two feet wide and a foot tall and, they all weigh a ton, you know, like I'm in the world's strongman competition. I'm lifting those yeah. huge brown balls up onto the pillars and each one is heavier than the previous one. Yeah. And you can't possibly push it up so that the volume is audible to anybody on the radio. Oh, I see. And it's just like, oh my God, everything's going to crap and I'm failing at this task. Yeah. And, uh, you know, and it, and the worst part is you can sleep, but this is your dream while you're asleep. Yeah. So it'd be better to not get any sleep at all. Yes. Oh, I get it. Okay. You know? Yeah. 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 So, so there, there's that element. Um, By the way, I think, I think anybody in sort of a creative performance kind of job has a similar kind of nightmare. Like we all have jobs. Like I have a job where it's like, okay, you have 24 minutes tomorrow to shoot the CEO before he gets on a plane to whatever it is. Right. And you need to get all of this stuff in those 24 minutes. And oh shoot, he showed up seven minutes late. So now you're down to 17 minutes. So go. Yeah. And he hasn't had a haircut in three weeks and hasn't shaved in four days. Exactly. And he's not listening to me and the light's shitty and whatever, whatever. Right. Like it's this, it's the same kind of thing because I think we are time limited 
And there's a creative element on top of it where it's like, I don't want to like you're on the mic. You don't want to like trip over your words and sound like an asshole. You know what I'm saying? Like that's your fear where you just don't know what to say for whatever. Oh yeah. Well, I don't have, I don't worry about the not saying it's the being able to (laughs) imagine that. Um, I'll make shit up. Um, Yeah, it's 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 it's, the, it's trying to get the volume pots all the way up. It's that's it's, really interesting. So it's, that's it's like, the It's a quasi technical problem yeah. that keeps you from getting your voice out there. Yes, and then um, there was another another ver- phase of that answer that I had for you. What was the question again? Uh, shit. What was the, oh whether you were the the kid uh, you were like oh, the right, and so then the only time, the only time that it ever that I ever had that moment. And it wasn't a, I am the master. I was the student. It wasn't that, but the only time that I ever got crazy nervous, uh, growing up, I had two favorite disc jockeys and they were both on WBCN. And as it turns out, my very first shift was between them. Oh, wow. And I was like, and I'll still like, I get crazy when I think about it. Um, it's just absolutely bonkers to think that my, that I was on the radio on that station between those two guys and they were uh, Albert O and Bradley J and sure. having Albert O introduce me was just like, stop it. Yeah. 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 You know? Yeah. And uh, yeah, I still remember, I remember everything he said word for word and then I wanted to go puke. Well, what about, what about people <laughs> changing their names for their DJ names? How do you, where do you come out on that? I'm fine with it. I never, I, I don't feel like I have a DJ name. You have a, yeah, you have a good name anyway. So people say that. And I, my mom passed away when I was young and I feel like she put time and effort into thinking up my name and she picked it. And that's my name. Respect to your, yeah. Right. I get that. And I was at one point and in my career, I had been Mark Hamilton as I have always been on the radio. And then we got a new, a new boss and he wanted to change my name. (laughs) <laughs> and I was like, I've been on the air here for years. Like what? All of a sudden I'm going to have a different name. Yeah. What name did he want? Did he have an idea? He just wanted me to go by Hamilton. Okay. Which, you know, wouldn't be the end of the world. It's not the end of the world, but I didn't need any, you know, all of a sudden, you know, there was a thing. I came in one day and uh, I was like, Oh, uh, you know, we have, we got personalized IDs, you know? And I remember it's like, and for all the DJs, Cause you know, they always have like, Oh, it's so-and-so and you're listening to yeah whoever. And uh, I was like, Oh great. Whatever. You know, that's fine. Uh, I always thought that was sort of a weird thing when yeah. I didn't, when I'd never met the, the artist. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah you know, yeah, 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 so yeah, like yeah, yeah. here's so-and-so I'm so-and-so you're listening to Mark Hamilton. So what do they just have you when they have an artist in the studio, they just have them do that for five minutes and read off. A bunch yeah. Of stuff? Like to bring him into a production studio and, you know, it's, let's say it's, it's some of the artists go, fuck this. Or it's is it May part 14th. You know, it's May 14th yeah. and they come in for an interview. And then after the interview, they go in the production studio and here's a sheet, you know, and it's like, you know, I'm so-and-so you're listening to Juanita on WBCN. Yeah, I'm yeah. so-and-so you're listening to Charles Lockwood era. You know, I'm so-and-so, you know, uh, it's like Merry Christmas from so-and-so, you know, yeah, yeah, and it's yeah, like yeah. you're doing your Christmas IDs and your yeah, 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 yeah. happy new year. And you all. have a full year's worth of crap to throw. Yeah. In. Yeah. That they, you know, so there's evergreen IDs. Yep. Yep. So, and so I went in and it was Chester Bennington from Lincoln Park. And it's like, it's like, hey, it's Chester Bennington. It's Chester from Lincoln Park. And you're listening to my boy Hamilton on WBCN. And I'm like, 
I've never met him. And I'm like, he's not, I'm not your boy. I'm nobody's boy. Like I'm nobody's <laughs> boy. He's like, I'm a lot of things, but I'm nobody's boy. I'm just nobody's boy. And, and no one who knows me calls me Hamilton. Yeah. It's just not a thing. Did you ask them like not to run it? I emailed my boss and I was a bitch about it. Okay. I was just like, this is stupid. I'm not like, I don't like, what are you doing? I, I feel like you're my angle on it. And I really, I mean, does it matter? No. But my angle simply was, you know, I've been on the radio on this state, in this market since I was 13. And whether it's a tiny little station at my high school or whatever, I've only ever worked in this one market. Yep. And I'm also not famous, but I've been at this station, you know, for six years or something, seven years. And, you know, the audience knows who I am. And now you're, yeah. you're trying to rebrand me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, that's like a band trying to rebrand themselves after yeah. four albums. Yeah, yeah, sure. You know, it's like you're an you're an emo band. Yeah. You're not like a death metal band. It, it makes it makes it feel like you think that you're a failure and you have to change it up in order to like re like it, it's a it's a position it's a position of weakness. It's not a position of strength. That's a very 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 good way to put it. Yes. Yeah. I hadn't seen it like that. I just felt like I'm. That's not who I am. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know, I'm, I never used a. I think I think radio names are awesome. You know, if you could come up with a cool monosyllabic like "shred" is an yeah. awesome radio name, right? Right. You know, Juanita was a great radio name. Where'd she come up with that? I don't even know. I don't know. I don't know the story behind it. We'll have to ask. Her. I th- actually, I remember hearing it one time, but I, I can't remember. You know, I, yeah. I'm not the one to tell that story. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, Oedipus is a fantastic radio name. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, you know, but then, you know, the, I grew up listening to a radio station who two of their DJs had the most not radio names ever. And they're yep. both, you know, Laquadera, Charles Laquadera. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Couldn't, couldn't be a worse radio name. One would think. Yeah. But, I mean, that's a legendary but it name. works. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. And then, uh, you know, and then Mark Parento. Yeah. Like that's a whole other Interestingly enough, thing. though, both of those, yeah, both of those guys are not only changer names, but they also have this complicated name but they're but it is it's like it's they're representing themselves on the radio not playing a character on the radio exactly there's there's an element of that to radio too right where right. people are going on and being somebody else yeah, i don't think howard is exactly perceived to be like the most you know the coolest name either but that guy did okay yeah it's true you yeah. know i mean and he never went by howard but he you can just say howard and you know who, who you're talking yeah, yeah, about yeah yeah what about the uh howard st- hessman obviously true the the uh, satellite radio stuff that came up like in your time. How did people in, in the terrestrial radio world feel about the satellite radio stuff? Dismissive? It was, it was a shift in the industry, I guess is all I'm saying. Talk about it like a, like a global thing, right? I mean, <laughs> beyond just being a I think thing. I think that it's awesome. I think that I never understood... I never understood satellite radio until this past September. Oh, okay. Because I've never you drove all the way across the country. Because I drove nine thousand miles around the United States in September, and for the first time in my life, I had satellite radio. Oh, in the car. Yeah, the rental. And I have to admit, I absolutely, I really missed flipping the dial and listening to all of the mm-hmm. local radio. However, there's two things going on that that one how much local radio really exists now. Especially in Idaho and Nebraska. Right. Yep. 
I'm sure there's great radio in Idaho and Nebraska, but you would be looking, I would be looking for the college station. Sure, of everywhere. course, yeah. And I was with my wife. Well, she wasn't my wife for the first half of the trip. I was going to say, yeah. But, you know, she. I was with the same woman for the whole trip. And uh, no <laughs> sordid tales there. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, um, and I think that her patience for the dial flipping, I don't even think... I know for a fact that her patience for all of that dial flipping yeah. and is is not on the same level as as mine. Because if a tune comes on and you don't like it, you'll find something else or No, because- no, no, because I will listen to a station through a lot of static. And oh, I see. and I'm happy to do the searching. I'm fine with the searching. Um she doesn't want to hear any of the static and you know, she wants to be like, well, what's the next one? Go to it, and we will listen to it. And when yeah. it goes away or starts to go away, we we're going to find, find the next a new one. one. Yeah. And and for me, uh, you know, I, I'm I'm cool with it. Yeah. Like if I, you know, if I could just hear the faint glimmer of yeah. of of a song that I like or I connect with or an artist that I know, if they're playing this artist, I know they're playing other things that I really like. Yep then I'm okay with all of the static and the noise and the fading in and out and bridges and tunnels. So did you, did you go for the era rec- radio stations, the eighties, seventies, that kind of stuff? Or did you go for the genre? Oh, uh, when we listened satellite? to satellite. Yeah. Um, Oh, it was like Sirius XM first wave is pretty great. Yeah. And then I like the spectrum as well. Sure. Yeah. And, um, Lithium is a cool thing for me, although that's also the mainly the time frame when I was when when I was doing commercial radio. So yeah. it's nostalgic from a personal. I would say it's not that it's nostalgic; it's just not ex, it's not the most interesting thing to me because I played all of oh, those I songs. Okay, a lot. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Wait, we have to get back real quick. We got to get back to the kind of music you listen to. So it's not what you listened to when you were like 20 years old. You think you would that I listen to now? Yeah. No, now. So I have the benefit of being older and I wouldn't say wiser, but more comfortable in my own skin. And I listen to whatever makes me happy. So if I want to hear Katy Perry hot and cold, the rest of you can be damned. Yeah. 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 And, uh, you know, and I really like the new Taylor Swift record and I love the clash as much as I ever did. And, Three years ago, I decided that I would play the guitar every day for at least an hour. And you getting I, good? Am I good? No. Um, but I have found that's a that long time playing guitar every day. It is, but I'm also up really late at night because I don't need to sleep. So sometimes I play for four hours. But what I've found is that, and I haven't taken any actual lessons. Does that keep Heather up in the middle of the night? Well, no, we have two buildings. We're like, oh right, we live in California, so there's a back house. Yeah. A man cave with separate walls, if you will. Um, but I know David Bowie songs better than most other songs. And so I know what they're supposed to sound like. And he uses all sorts of wild chords. Yeah. So I I know those more than I know other things. Got it. Like okay. I use his music to teach me. And if you can't figure it out, do you go find tabs somewhere? And, and I look, I use the internet for everything. I can't figure out anything. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I have figured out a couple of songs and when I do, I'm like, what? Yeah. 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 <laughs> you know, I am not, you're like patting yourself on the back. Literally. <laughs> I'm absolutely freaked out and blown away because I am not one who hears a song and then can play it. 
Yep. You know, you could play me one note and say that's an A or a D. Which one? And I'd say I have no clue. Yeah, yeah, none. yeah, yeah, yeah. None at all. Yeah. yeah. So it's a whole other thing. The, okay, so what happens when BCM closes? What do you do? So, uh, so WBCM went away, and I followed a woman to the West Coast, and. Uh, and by follow, I mean, I had known her since high school, but we reconnected and she lives on the West Coast. So I went there to be with her. And shortly thereafter, we went from San Francisco to L.A. for her job. Which do you prefer, San Francisco or L.A.? Me? I had never wanted to live anywhere other than Boston, but touring with bands, I loved San Francisco and I always wanted to live there. Okay. So I was psyched. What, did, it, did it live up to the expectations you had it built was, up in your head? It was magical, even though it was... What years was this? That was 2007... 2009 so before the crazy homeless crisis happened it there. was kicking in yeah. yeah it's pretty bad now yeah yeah there was yeah there wasn't an app that you could download that would show you where poop was on the sidewalk yeah that didn't exist yet yeah uh but within a month or so we were in los angeles for her job i when i left for the west coast i really thought i would probably never do another radio show and then through a friend of mine who is originally from boston and was on k-rock I'd go to shows with her, and one day she said, she's like, hey, you know, they're going to hire another part-timer at K-Rock. You should give me a tape and and tr- and go for it. And I thought, that's insane. Yeah. Um, but okay. Big so I, station. Yeah, sort of the the mythological, gigantic yeah. Yeah. station. What, what, kind of, what kind of listenership did BCN have, just to put it in perspective? What do you mean? Who's the person? No, I mean, like, the numbers. Do they, I mean, they must have no do idea. demographic numbers, right? I don't but, know. Like, but K-Rock's got to be... Five times bigger than that. Well, yeah, it's also a bigger market. Bigger market, yeah, you know, of course. It's the number two media market in the country yep. as opposed to number 11 or 10. Yeah, close to know. number one, baby. Yeah, number one media market in the country <laughs> didn't have a rock radio station for almost a full decade. Well, you know, rock is dead. Long live whatever else. Well, the, you know, it's, I mean, what is, yeah, there's a whole other discussion. But in LA, everybody's in their car all the time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Whereas in New York, yeah. nobody's ever in their car. Yeah, so totally. radio is yep, more important absolutely. in which city? Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah. So uh it is interesting though, quick aside that like you and I the era we grew up in, the like late 70s to like late 90s early aughts, right? Was very much I'm still do- growing up by the way. Yeah. <laughs> was very much dominated by what we would now say sort of like rock music. Yes. In a way where now all the stuff, I mean honestly, I'll look at the charts you won't know any. Of I have. I don't know any of these people. Right, and there's probably four guitars in the record, top ten, or uh, or you know who's uh, Drake. I I don't think I've ever heard a Drake record. I love his cakes. <laughs> exactly. Like I listen to. I'll listen to like a tune of those things. I'll be like, show me what is so what what you get in about this. Like play play for me something. You know, I'll listen to it. And I'll go or I'll go on a Spotify and like let's find the most popular Drake song. Let me listen to it and see see if I can figure out what people are so hyped up on because the dude sells ten times more records than the Beatles. You know. And you listen, and I listen to it, and I just like it doesn't connect with me. And it's just interesting that, like, I feel like we, I'm going to speak for myself. I always thought that, like, oh, the world will just be continuations. Even to the record business, my father, when rap and hip hop started becoming a thing, my father was like, this is a like drop in the bucket. This is a, you know, flash in a pan that's going to be gone. Your dad was white, right? Oh, yes. Okay. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? But like, and there was all this stuff. Sometimes I'll listen to stuff talking about, say hip hop and R and B records from the late eighties or something. And they'll be talking about artists that I'm like, they're like, this song was huge. And I'm like, I never heard that song at the time because I wasn't listening to that kind of radio. You know what I mean? And, yeah. and because I wasn't, I was living in suburban Connecticut, not in 
Bridgeport or New York. Right. You know what I mean? And so nowadays where the world, even the music you listen to and the music, the bands you work with on a professional level, like this is not the mainstream music anymore for a lot of, a lot of places and a lot of things. Right. Is that, do, do you ever think about that? And does that like change the way you see the kind of music you do like? My years at WZBC changed my, the way I listen to music in a way that it's really hard to explain. I mean, that was a place that was like a college in itself. Yeah. And as far as things like, so at my high school radio station, there was, a, we had the Metco program yep. and the kids who lived in the city would come out to this affluent white neighborhood, white town on the bus every morning. And they go to our high school instead of inner city high schools. Yeah. And the education, if you paid attention, went both ways. And this one guy, Chris Briggs had a hip hop show on our high school radio station in 1983. And he was scratching from turntable to turntable. That's kind of nuts at and the time. In hindsight, it's mind blowing. And I would never admit to of having latched on and got it at the time. Yeah. But I remember all the stuff that he was playing. And, uh, you know, it was my, that was my first exposure to any of that music. It began to open my world. Then, Fast forward four, you know, three years out of high school, two years out of high school, and I'm at WZBC at Boston College, and there's guys like Magnus Johnston and Brian Coleman and Tim Hazlett, you know, and these names may not mean anything to anybody, but as far as you know, appreciation of music, uh, it just didn't get much bigger. Right. I mean, these are the people with truly encyclopedic. Uh, minds for all of this stuff. And they were focused on things that I, even to this day, wouldn't uh, claim to be an efficient aficionado in at all. Sure. And uh, you know, Tim's gone, which is sad. Magnus has gone too. Brian is now an author. I mean, he's got a couple of books, you know, um, yeah. on, on, on the you know, early days of hip hop and various artists and, and they're not the only ones, but you brought up hip hop. So I just want to. Yeah. Just as an example. I mean, like, so, I mean, I was, I think, so the way I, my point is simply yeah. that my immersion in that particular radio station, which is so off the charts. Yep. I mean, literally not playing anything on the charts, yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, it all, anything close to being on the charts ended, you know, uh, like September 24th, 91, when Nevermind's Nirvana, Nevermind sure. by Nirvana came out. They were in that studio the day the record came out right. at Boston College. And they played the FNX birthday party the night before. Other than that, like we just didn't touch the charts. Right. You know, and that was a fluke because they weren't a chart band at that point. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. It only took like another two weeks, but yeah, you yeah. Know, that that's it. I mean, it was so eye-opening. And I still listen to that station online. And you know, I still listen to my high school station online, but you know, the High school kids, I, I find, are they're playing things that are on the charts. Yep. You know, they're 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 the reason we still suffer through the red hot chili peppers. I mean, you're not a red hot chili. I'm not a chili peppers big fan either. Right? Like I don't understand. Stuff, I've never met the later stuff. I've never met. I mean, all this stuff sounds the same. Yeah. It's like uplift mofo party plan and then everything else. Yep. Right. At least to me, and I know I'm making it really basic, but. I've never met anybody who said, hey, let's listen to the Red Hot Chili Peppers. Yeah. Like, hey, what do you want to put on? What do you want me to put on? Dude, play the Chili Peppers. I've never met that person. 
I've I've never had anyone say to me, "Hey, let's go to the Chili Pepper yeah, show." Yeah, yeah, yeah. I ended up I ended up uh, back, they're just there. I ended up backstage at a Dave Matthews show recently because the nice guy, guy. Yeah, I mean, he's supposedly a nice guy. Like, I didn't. I bumped into a few band members and stuff. Like, I know a guy who plays sax for him, and I know another guy. Like, so we ended up backstage. You know, had dinner and whatever, and went to see the show with good seats and whatever. And it's like there's another person. It's like I have musically. It's like the dude can play. Some of the songs are really well written. Do I want to listen to more than 45 minutes of it? No, not really. But like, I have respect for the fact that he's like, he's a heavy doing his thing and makes a lot of money doing it for like, good for him, you know? And like, if I may interrupt, yep. He brings a lot of people, a lot of joy. Yep. And I am lucky enough to see that and not spend time crapping on it to make myself feel better. Yeah, absolutely. And you know what? Backstage, you should see the spread they had for the crew. Yeah. The food. They treat because people Because you know well. what? He doesn't need to tour. He doesn't need to do anything. He could sit at home and have people peel grapes for him all day long. He's on tour because he likes playing in front of people. Right? Yeah. So if we're going to do that, let's do it in a comfortable way. Like, it just that kind of stuff really interests me. Like, when people get to that level, you know? Bonnie Raitt put it really well. You know, Bonnie doesn't have to tour. I call Like, I know her. Uh, Bonnie Ray doesn't get her on the horn. (laughs) If I had to, you could get her on the horn. I know a guy, you know, a guy who knows her. Yes. Excellent. Um, like I couldn't go to his show because she was, and the venue freaks out. Anyway, uh, he's like, it's too crazy. If she goes, what I was going to say is that Bonnie Ray doesn't have to tour, but she knows that a lot of other people and their livelihoods rely on the work that is provided by her going out on the road. Yep. And therefore she goes out on the road. Not that she doesn't enjoy it. It's like she the Jay Leno it. thing, right? Like I have enough money. I'm going to give some of it back to my people to keep the show on the air for another year or whatever. Ugh. That was a thing, wasn't it? I don't uh, Jay Leno. Okay. Fair enough. You're a Letterman guy. I'm just not a Jay Leno guy. Okay. All fair right? enough. Anyway, but there was a story Jay about Jay Leno's him. like Billy Joel of comedy. Oh, me. see, you know, got to bring up the Billy. You got to stick in the knife. I don't know, man. Both of those guys, they both. Come on. The Stranger 52nd Street and Glass Houses are not good records. I'm sure they're great records. <laughs> if I ever listened to them, which I didn't. Look, I will admit that there was a point in fifth grade where Steve Bodson and I would air guitar on tennis rackets to uh one of those songs yeah <laughs> i don't know what it was yeah 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 yeah. uh well what's the matter with the car i'm driving song oh yeah yeah, yeah. right yeah 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 look the billy joel don't story is it, it's interesting he worked hard yep it's just not for me that's, that's fair that's a fair, it's a fair point i like bruce springsteen a lot and i feel like if you're a big springsteen guy you're probably not a big billy joel guy interestingly enough i watched the beginning of the springsteen netflix and all special. he does is talk about how great billy joel is no and like an inspiration he on gets up there and in the first inner uh, like the first little interlude that he's talking he basically says look i write all these songs about blue collar people i've never been a blue collar person correct i'm faking the whole thing this is just like my crazy story. And like, I've been pulling the wool over your eyes all these yeah. years. And that made me go, ew. Well, I don't want to hear it, Bruce. Like I, and, and like, I'm a huge, like I'm a born to run Bruce guy. Like I yeah. born to runs like an amazing record. Like I'll listen to that all day long. Um, that's the only one for you though. Uh, I, you know what? I'm not a Nebraska fan. I will tell you. I'm, I'm not a, either. 
I don't understand why everyone like loses their mind over that record. Neither it's do like, I. It doesn't do anything for me. It's boring. Yes. So like so I for me it's like it's it's everything before Born in the USA. I'm, this, I'm an is, early guy. Isn't there the story of like the cassette falling out of a canoe? Oh, I don't know the canoe story. I, he recorded this is like a, this is like a home recording, right? Just to like a demos and stuff. Yeah, but like it got like he yeah, but he was like canoeing it across the lake to his buddy's house, and the boat tipped over in a storm. He lost it, and like the dog saved it, and it was in a plastic sandwich bag. Oh my god, I did not hear yeah, this. I'm making all that up, but it's some some crazy story. It's some crazy story about that. Yeah. Uh, funny enough, I did, however, for my my da- version's probably more my daily series. I photographed the guy who took the cover art of the, Nebraska. The photograph on Nebraska was uh, this guy photographed by this guy David Michael Kennedy, who I photographed out in uh, uh, New Mexico a couple years ago when I was out there visiting another photographer, my friend Coupon, who shot that. We went over to this guy's house, and he has like machine guns and stuff at his house. It was crazy. When you travel, do you seek out the famous photographer in every town? Uh, no. Do you go to places? Where so I imagine you have favorite photos taken by other people. Yep. So do you go to places where you're like, oh, that's where that photograph was taken? Uh, I have been into that. Funny enough, the other day I was just you know messing around on the internet, and I found some guy's blog who found the photo locations of all these famous album covers in New York City. So I go to those. Like I go to those locations. Yeah, because I was reading this whole article about how. Uh, actually, the cover of Billy Joel's 52nd Street. If you want to go get some wine, you can go get some wine. Uh, uh, Billy Joel's 52nd Street uh, was re- was shot outside of the uh, CBS studios in Please Midtown. tell me it was on 52nd Street. Uh, yes, it was. Oh, yeah. Thank you. The CBS studios. And they went out the uh, the back elevator, like the, the, the freight elevator. And he uh, uh, was just standing outside like, holding, you know, like standing outside the place and this crazy guy figured out cause it, it's been torn down. It's like long gone, but this guy figured out like where it was by looking up other promotional photos that were from the same photo shoot that he found on eBay, figuring out the building that was next door. That was a diner. You know what I mean? Like all this kind of crazy shit. Yep. I generally don't do that. And a lot of the people I know who are photographers have, um, are either a lot of my favorite photographers are dead. You know what? Okay. Here, let me ask you a question. This is a similar thing. A lot of famous photographers that I know, no one knows who they are, right? No one knows who so the famous photographer. So these are a lot of famous people that no one knows. Well, they're famous photographers that no one else in the world gives a crap about. Other photographers know about them. Yes. Yeah. 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 But you're it's like but, being a musician's musician. It's exactly. like Talia Zedek. Right. No one knows who Talia Zedek is. But, you know, Michael Stipe will be like, she's the greatest. Exactly. Yeah. Like everyone and she is like everyone speaking of like that era, like everyone who talks about how the replacements and who's do are their like biggest influences and, and the replacements and who's do were big bands, but they never sold a lot of records. They did not make a ton of money doing it. Right. Right. So it's, it's a little bit like that. So, um, and I was talking about this, like you could take the most famous picture of like the most famous person in the world and people will know that picture up and down the street. But no one knows who took that thing. Other right, than nobody Andy knows, Leibowitz, Danny nobody knows who anybody is. I'm always surprised nobody knows who Danny Clinch is. Yeah, there you go. And I'm like, you love, you love all this 90s rock. Like, he took all those pictures. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I'm not a photography guy, but no, I know that. Yeah, and there's uh, uh, my, uh, this, this woman that I know. Oh, shit, I'm going to blank on her name. A friend of mine is good friends with this woman who lives on Bond Street over there. What the hell's her name? 
Anyway, she's this little tiny white British lady. But like she took all like the run DMC and salt and pepper records, like all the hip hop stuff in the late eighties. Like she shot all that stuff. She's this like little uh, assuming little white British lady, but like she was in with like the black hip hop community and she like shot all this stuff. And it's like, no one knows. They know those pictures and people who are really into this kind of stuff. Know who she is. But like, anyway, so the point I'm making is that like, there will be famous photographers in the photo world and you could call them up and get them on the phone. Or send them an email and they'll write you back. I'm in your house. You get my point. Yeah. Ha ha. Cute. <laughs> but it, Just you know, saying. it is, it is, it is that kind of stuff is, is really interesting to me. So I rarely seek out other photographers. Photographers are weird where we don't. Everybody's weird. If you get them to open up, you find out how weird everybody I is. I guess my, like photography, especially when it comes to portrait photography is a very sort of one person operation. Also, you guys, guys, you're trying to capture an instant that will last forever. Yes. It's not like recording an album or sounds. Yeah. Which is a real problem for me because, you know, like I was a big music guy for years. The idea of like taking the temporal out of the art form where it is a singular thing. It is a frame of of, of film. You know, it's, it's a frame of photo versus... Oh, I have time. I have three minutes or I have 43 minutes of a record or whatever it is to like tell a story. And you can layer upon layer. Yeah. You can go back and be like, oh, this would be great if we put another layer of guitars on it. And interestingly enough, like when I used to play piano pretty seriously and and get into that kind of stuff, I, I have never been as moved by visual art. And, you know, I've been to Italy and looked at my favorite Caravaggio's for 25 minutes to stare at them and stuff like that. Like, I get it. Like, I'm into it. I do what I do and I'm known for what I'm known for. But like I have, I've never gotten a spine tingly feeling from a photograph or a painting the way I have from certain songs. You know, you cannot like, um, uh, there's a, I used to be a fan of the band jellyfish. You ever listen to jellyfish? I saw jellyfish. They played a WBCN rock and roll rumble is the guest band. And they probably sounded pretty damn good. Don't like that band. Okay. Fair enough. But, their second record, Spilt Milk, is like this big conceptual record. Everybody loves it. Starts with the strings coming in, ends with the strings going out. You put it on repeat. It fades out. It fades back in. You're starting the whole thing all over again. It's a big cycle, you know. Good for them. Yeah, good for them. It's art rock right at the beginning of grunge, right? Like, had they come four years earlier, they probably would have been a bigger band. But they hit their album came out like three weeks before Nevermind or something like that. So no one cares, right? Which is fine. By the way, you were saying earlier the whole idea of like, oh, and then suddenly this guy that we used to I forget what you were talking about. You said like somebody we used to think about all the time. Now my friend knows that person or whatever it is like their friends. There's like people who go are writing songs with Roger Manning or whatever it is that I'm like, you know, blue went out out west and recorded with like some of the guys from Jelly. You know, like I, I vaguely know him. I, you know what I mean? Like I used to cross paths with him sometimes. Um, but like, you know, like that record, that's that redhead record has some really great songs on it. He never really got, I mean, he was on Sony, but like, where does it go? I mean, what music is such a weird ephemeral thing. Like the music business. He writes for Demi Lovato. Oh, is that what he's doing now? No, he writes a lot. Yeah. He's doing well. He's a hell of a songwriter. I see him. He's a hell of a songwriter. Yeah. Um, But you get my point is that like, yeah, but like no one knows who he is. No, very few people. You know, I think Diane Warren could walk down the street and no one understands. No one would know who Diane Warren is. She's worth a hundred million dollars. And she's like, she's written written songs that everybody could sing. 
Yes. And nobody would know who no she was. No one has any idea who she is. She you also know? doesn't care. Right. It's kind of like being a really great author, right? That like no one, you know, other than Stephen King, who knows what any of these people look like. Right. You know, and, and like, and I think they like it that way, right? They can just walk, they could, you could be famous and lost at the same time. You know, and I think photographers, other photographers think, oh, my God, like I was up at this workshop thing and I'm hanging out with this guy with like multiple Pulitzers. And it's like in 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 the photojournalism world, he's a big deal. Yep. He's won this. He's won the world press. for. It's like, oh, but it's just John. You know what I mean? Like, it's like it's he doesn't think of him like if you didn't know, you wouldn't know. The woman named Carol Guzzi, she's got like six Pulitzers. She's got like more than anybody ever. And she's like. And I went up to her and she was like sitting in a chair and she was like nervous because she had to do some talk or something like that. And I walked up to her and I said, I said, excuse me, I just, I just want to tell you, I really love your work. And she's like, well, thank you so much. You know, like uh, unassuming, you know? Yeah. And I think that like David Bowie, like David Bowie. And I think in these worlds that you and I live in, you know, like the, the kinds of names and people you can talk about in the kind of music that you like, those people could be anybody walking down the street, you know? And even though they might have had a big impact, doesn't mean they have any money. It doesn't mean that they were ever a commercial success, right? Well, even with with a lot of big hip hop artists, you find a lot of them go go broke because they're getting a lot of money at one point, but then they don't they're realize done with it. they don't realize you know X percentage goes to management and agents, and then there's the taxes come out, and then you got to pay everybody with you. You go on tour. You got to pay everybody. You know, driving trucks. You got to yeah, pay yeah, yeah. the truck and the gas and the oil change, all of this stuff. You know, so their five million dollars is not really anywhere near five million dollars. Yeah, I'm just using that as a number. No, totally. And there was that band. Uh, you know, the band that you saw with the the husband and wife who did the covers, all those covers on YouTube. That you know, what I'm talking about. Not like Pomplamoose, but that it's the people who started kickstarter or like one of those not kickstarter kickstarter anyway the, the the this couple and they went on tour and they wrote a whole medium post about like how they basically lost five yes. percent yes doing it and they laid out like all the all money the they're like this is what we made this is what it is but this is what it costs to sleep this is what it costs for the trouble blah 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 blah, blah. for the roadies for the whatever like and here we end up when we made five thousand dollars over the course of like 10 weeks. Yep. The original version of that is the Steve Albini breakdown of the major label record contract. Oh yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It's yeah. like everyone should read that. It's I even mean, though it's now 25 years old. Yeah. But like the music business, man, like it was just like, it's business, not music. Yeah. It's kind of sad that commercial, way. not radio. I realized, uh, we have to go, uh, meet Heather. I mean, does anybody, up. this is, if you're still listening to this at this point in time. Oh man, people, yo, you have no idea. It's crazy. I've done three hour episodes. That's amazing. We could do this again. We should do part two in Los Angeles. Okay. We'll come to LA. You should do that. Uh, are you, so where, where do you put your stuff on the SoundCloud? Do you put your stuff anywhere else? Nope. No, I just, I have the SoundCloud. I have, uh. You're Much, not a social media. So guy. let me rewind to way, way, way back before I knew you, uh, but I knew your wife. And she said, oh, you should have a podcast. Oh, okay. And I said to her, what's, what's a, a podcast? podcast? And uh, she even bought me an attachment microphone for my iPhone. Interesting. And was like, record, do it. And like, I just didn't get it. You know, If I had listened to her, I'd probably have podcast number eight. 
Oh, you're not. You, yeah, you don't think you have the drive for that? No, no. I mean, there, oh, you'd be the number eight. Podcast I would have been the like world. the eighth podcast oh, I ever recorded. Yeah, oh, I got. You. I mean, okay. it was it, you know, like it was early days. She was so on it. Hey, she still does hers every week. The superheroes? No, she does a zombie one. Oh my god, I can't do zombies. Reanimated. I can't do zombies. I know. I, I don't, don't watch any of this stuff. She makes me. I, I don't get it. You watch this on your own time. I don't want anything. No, to do with it. no. I love the band, the zombies. Yeah. In fact. Listen, in fact, people well, go... That's a segue. Yeah, people are like, what's the greatest pop album ever recorded? And I'll say, Odyssey and Oracle by the Zombies. That, that would be your answer? Yep. Interesting. Yeah. By the way, uh, our... Cell 44. Our, our common friend, Andy King, uh, sent me... Uh, they live in my hometown where I grew up. Is that where they live now? Yep. Uh, uh, is uh, Sent me a, a, a recording last night, a video recording of him dicking around on the piano plucking out uh, uh, God Only Knows on the piano. And it's like, God Only Knows is one of those tunes that like you get in your head and it's very hard to get it out of your head. Yeah. And so I was just obsessed with listening to God Only Knows last <laughs> night. Um, but Mark, thank you for coming on. Uh, yeah, we'll do, we'll, we'll do part two in LA. This would be fun. I still have to answer some questions that you asked. You're going to have to think about your answers you, when you get more sleep. Can't do it. I did. <laughs> I want to leave you with this idea though. Okay. okay? Because you brought up the photography and then the piano came up and you mentioned that you played it seriously. There should be an art project. And of course it would be art. It doesn't have to be art. But it should be, you should figure out a way where you hook up a camera and a piano. Yeah. And every key that you play takes a photo. A different picture of some kind. Maybe with a different camera attached. Yeah, there's like cameras all over the place and it's like you end up with this Each bullet timey kind of thing. Yes. That's an interesting idea. Sick. You could totally do that nowadays. MIDI to DMX to a phone. Yeah, I could do that. Just throwing it out there, man. All right. You're, you're like, you're an ideas man. Somebody else has to make it happen. Yeah, this is, this is why I'm broke. <laughs> I All introduce right. people to other people. Let's go get on the train. Let's, oh, as, as that Doors movie starts, let's get some tacos.